Pubcast. I feel like the Kabbalah has actually met that huge hunger and desire and need in me to understand the universe, my life, my existence, and I actually have the answer to that. Unbelievably. Welcome to the Liberated Healer Podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your host, Gina, offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. Hi, everybody. This is Gina Cavalier, and this is the Liberated Healer Podcast. And on our show today is Jane Meredith. She's an author, and she has a new book out called Falling Through the Tree of Life. Look at this thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome, Jane. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Gina. It's a delight to talk about falling through the tree of life. I'm looking Never. forward to it. Of course, as you can hear, she's from Australia. Oh, dear. <laughs> So, I mean, we've had a lot of people from Australia on this show and, you know, I feel like it's sort of our, you know, sister country because Mm. we seem to have the same topics and we, and are going through a lot of the same thing, obviously, but we do seem to fall into the same thing. So, and also you have a lot of other books that you've written, Aspecting the Goddess, Journey to the Dark Goddess, Iron Pentacle, Elements of Magic. So this isn't your first rodeo. This baby, I've had it by my bed for about a month. And, and and have you been kind of like you know not being filtering into your dreams has it been <laughs> oh definitely and as you know i told you earlier i'm going through some hurdles in my life right now yeah. so all of this education has been so helpful and so tell us a little bit about your journey you know to get here and through this book specifically the embodiment yeah. of bala okay so I had always, like I'm in my 50s, all my life that I've been interested in magic, which has basically been always, you know, uh, I've heard these kind of whispers, rumors, if you like, about the Kabbalah, about the magic of the Kabbalah, about the kind of unending grandiosity and sheer power and like total ability to explain everything and then to you know, as an agent of kind of change within the universes through Kabbalah, right? Things that just seem like completely outrageous. And especially when I tried to put them together with anything I could find to read about the Kabbalah, okay, which seemed really dry, obscure, like to be written in a language, uh, it was English that I was reading, but, you know, type of English where the words don't really fit together and the sentences don't really add up to anything much. And if they were conveying the great mysteries, they certainly didn't convey them to me or really seemed to give me any doorways, any openings as to how I could partake in this mystery. Uh, so meanwhile, of course, I went on and uh, was involved in a whole lot of different magical areas, and I still am, including local magic and goddess mythology and ritual and the reclaiming tradition, you know, a heap of other things, Iron Pentacle, etc. But always, you know, I would still hear these rumors and I always had this feeling that somewhere was waiting for me, like the answer to the universe, that, but also this, how could I get to the mystery of this, even the tree of life, which is just a piece, you know, a significant piece, but a piece of the Kabbalah. How could I, a pagan, feminist, non-academic, non-occult magician, how could I meet it? I am half Jewish as it happens. So I kind of felt even again, like, oh, even again, it's calling to me, you know, the Kabbalah. And 
finally, what I did was the way that I work all magic, I realized, oh, the way that I understand things is through the body. That, that's my learning. Like, I, I'm not someone who wants to read about a ritual. I'm someone who wants to create a ritual. I'm not someone who wants to kind of theoretically create diagrams about the Iron Pentacle. I want to immerse myself in it and feel it working through my body. Uh, so why wouldn't I do that with the Tree of Life? And, of course, hooray, I was like, okay, that's what I need to do. So I found this large floor and nine other willing people, and I drew out a map in chalk on the floor of the Tree of Life, of the 10 seven. And then we went and physically stood and sat, danced and talked and discussed within the tree, within the map itself. And as soon as I began doing that, like it started, it came, it was alive. It was already alive. I don't want to say it came alive. It was already alive, but I could feel and hear it and relate to it. And uh, we started doing magic and rituals and work and study. And suddenly the study made sense because I was embodied in that. Uh, And we did that for about a year. Uh, and it was amazing and it opened the door. And then I spent another 10 years going back at the fods inside the door, being inside the door, you know, exploring a few of the corridors, the branches, if you like, of the tree and, and doing this embodied work of actually placing myself within one of the sephira, one of the 10 pieces of the tree of life and spending usually a month, sometimes a shorter time, but usually a month within each one and uh, studying, working magic and ritual, researching it, relating to it. And uh, another thing that I did was create these uh, discs, which is a thing that I encourage people to do in the book, is to create these. So this is, I've got 10 of these, or in fact 11, and I've got many iterations of them, so I've got four or five iterations of them. But to create like a literal map, uh, this is of the Hokma Sephira, uh, that then, because I've got 10 of them, so then I can actually lay them down on the floor uh, as uh, like my original chalk drawn one, that's Gevira. Uh, I can lay them down and I can actually physically move within them and create magic and ritual. And each one of these has an impression, uh, not just from my head, but from the particular month that I spent working uh, with this Gevira disc of what my experience of it was. So you took all the traditional Kabbalah readings and teachings and then you simplified it by yourself first and then you created like this? Or, or... I didn't really simplify them. I just stepped into it. Like I oh. literally stepped into it. If you're working with Gebra, literally on the map, like I know where that is on the diagram of the Tree of Life, and I literally, in, in ritual, in trance, placed myself in there and committed to being in there for a month, four weeks, and then began to like receive, oh, what is this red color? What does that mean to me? Oh, Gevira, you know, it's about power. It's about agency. Oh, how is that showing up in my life? Where am I not powerful? Oh, I think it's about boundary work. Oh, I've got to do a whole heap of boundary work, you know. Oh, how am I powerful? How am I not powerful? Working magic maybe to protect or increase or nurture my power, whatever it was that I was working with. And, and I did that in concert with these nine other people Mostly I've done it with a group of other people. Occasionally I've done it on my own. But often I did it in concert with nine other people who were all doing their magics and then we would come together and create ritual with the whole tree speaking alive. So I would be bringing Gavira that particular month. Uh, And then we would transition. I would fall through the tree another degree. And in this case, I would go to Tiferet after that particular month. You know, so then I would have this next month would be this completely different working with Tiferet, with beauty in the center of the tree. 
And so by doing that, then I would be in the central column, the middle pillar, and I would be learning about that. And I would be receiving that flow from Gevura that I'd just been in and understanding how that connects to Tiferet while I was working with what is it to be at the heart of the tree of life? What does it mean to have all these paths to be maybe the heart of the tree, but kind of blasted open? And I would be feeling that in my personal life and I'd be thinking about it, reading about it, creating magic and ritual with it. So very immersed. I wonder if you can go back a little bit, though, and explain the tree of life a little bit more for people that don't know what that means a little bit. Sure. So the tree of life is this concept uh, in the Kabbalah, in all versions of the Kabbalah, it is uh, a little diagram, a glyph, you know, usually about the size of my hand. uh, And it's got 10 circles on it, sometimes 11. And they're in a very, they're always like, it's had other forms in the, you know, a few hundred years back and and further back, but this is the current form. Like everyone works with this particular form of this diagram of the tree of life. And people who've read almost any kind of occult books or would have come across it somewhere. So the concept about the tree of life is that it explains everything. And I mean everything. I mean, like from the beginnings of the universe unto the very end and every stop along the way. So the development not just of human life on earth and all that we're concerned with, uh, but actually God's existence, the big bang, love, uh, death, uh, everything, basically everything. And another way to draw this is, or to think about it is as an actual tree, as an actual kind of living tree. And there's so many trees in mythology that have that, you know, the world tree, the one tree, you know, that that carry the, the weight of this imagery of a living thing. So it's not this static little diagram of 10 or 11 circles on a page about the size of my hand, but it's also simultaneously like the one tree, the world tree, the tree that whose roots are in the you know distant explosion of the Big Bang that began in the universe, you know, and it's leaves stretching out and it's still growing and we're somehow held within it. So what I love about the tree imagery and, and I worked with a butterfly image as well, is that to render it into a little diagram, as I say, the size of my hand, kind of says, oh, like you can look at it and you can understand it. You know, you can get a, an idea of what it means because it's just, you know, this thing on a page. Whereas I think, you know, with something like the, the world tree or the one tree or the tree of life, it's, it's as big as everything, like it contains everything. And so we could never look at it all. You know, we catch little glimpses, like even that amazing telescope that's out there, you know, on the borders of knowing time and space, taking photographs is, is capturing little, little pieces, little flecks, little images that it's sending back to us. And so for me, the butterfly in the tree conjured up this idea of how tiny we are and how fragile we are and how beautiful we are and how brief our, our little lives are. And, and the idea that a butterfly could know or understand a tree is like clearly absurd and yet you know it has this total experience of tree you know it's eating when it's a caterpillar it's eating the leaves of the tree so when it binds itself in a chrysalis to the to a little twig you know it's it's held there it's carried in the tree you know when it dissolves its body you know it's really totally trusting that the tree will hold a container and then when it comes into a butterfly it's flying through the leaves and the branches and to me, that kind of poetic imagery of a butterfly's relationship to an actual tree kind of captured my feeling about being in the tree of life, the capitalistic tree of life. And I felt that's just much more realistic and uh, also something I can really relate to. 
rather than the diagram. I also work with the diagram all the time, but I never forget the butterfly and the tree. Would a, a traditional Kabbaloist find this to be in line with traditional? Or are you sort of taking it a step further? And- I think I'm taking a step sideways, like the pagan and feminist step. And so I'm talking really about the Jewish tradition of Kabbalah yeah. and rather than the occult tradition of Kabbalah, which, you know, the Golden Dawn really manifested 120 years ago and onwards. And that is what kind of is usually spelled with a Q and has influenced or is predominant in a lot of current, more magical or mystical writings. Like there is actually a lot of Jewish writing about the Kabbalah, not necessarily the Tree of Life, although that also uh, and that's usually spelt with a K. And I've, I feel myself and have followed that tradition, like the occult magic tradition of Kabbalah to me. You know, it's related, uh, but it doesn't have this grandeur. The Jewish tradition has this kind of inheritance of the, the arguments, even with God or the gods, you know, that, that we're an active, dynamic relationship with the mysteries of the universe in every moment, you know, and that each life is a part of this working out, you know, and everything you do in that life. And it's just like so inherently magical. And and each breath, you know, each breath is this kind of continuance of the universe. And so really, I, I think, although I wasn't raised Jewish, and that is the the line of interest that I've followed, like when I've taken courses, they've been from that side rather than the occult magic side. And I think that some of the people, teachers or writers I've come across within that contemporary Jewish Kabbalah would recognize this. The occult magic, well, of course they would because they're working with the diagram, but it is a very different take on how it is usually or often presented. Partly because I I think it's such a, it's so easy to be such an academic subject and people often treat it quite academically. And I have done almost the opposite. That's what I was kind of trying to get to. I was trying to figure out kind of how this would land because I did study a little bit of Kabbalah when I lived in Los Angeles at the Kabbalah Center. Uh, when I was very young, I was brought in by a celebrity and I was her assistant and she was like, you have to go do this with me. And it really did open my mind up to these rituals and things like that. And I did feel a lot of love there. I I remember that. And she was like, we're going to get you a nice Jewish husband. I remember that. And <laughs> happened, but it probably would have been better in my life if I had to gone that route. But I remember that. So I-, I like that you also talk about the land. In the very opening of your book, you talk about the land acknowledgement, which is, you know, for all the different tribes and all the sacred lands and working together with land. And I really thought that was very nice. And then also the appreciation to all the Jewish lineage and the ancestry and also to the survivors and to the slain and to the mixes of races, religion and heritage. And you offer blood acknowledgement and gratitude. And that was really, you know, that just set up the tone for me in, in a very respectful way. And, you know, of course, this is, you know, it's always an interesting subject. I had someone on that told me a little bit, and you had tarot. There's a tarot version in here that you could do. And I actually did it for myself today uh, with, the, with the tree of tarot. And it was exactly with what is going on in my life right now. So it was very poignant. I really think that it was interesting. And I encourage people to try that out with the book. 
But also what I learned is that tarot actually has a lot of roots in Judaism. And it's a part of what I found out that they, they, used, they used it while they weren't able to communicate as ways to send messages to other people. So I'm not like, sure. I don't know about that at all. And I was about to say, oh, well, I, in my understanding of Jewish Kabbalah, tarot really is not a part of it, but you obviously have found something else out. Like for me, that was one of the, the moments in this book where I strayed into like occult, Western occult magic is linking the tarot with okay. the Kabbalah. That's where I was wondering too, because I didn't think that it was in more yeah. than Okay. So. Yeah, so you but, have- but I stray plenty of other areas. Like I also, you know, in, in Gabriel, that we were talking about before, you know, to me, it's so bound up with consent work and like the, the boundary, you know, current, current work around boundaries and selves. And, you know, so there's a whole heap of other areas that I stray into because I think the Kabbalah explains everything. I mean, my, my publisher early on said to me like, oh, you know, Kabbalah books, don't usually deal with sex. You know, there's a lot of sex in this book. And I'm like, like, this is about life. You know, this is supposed to be about everything. This is, this is the whole, the all of it. How can you not have sex there? But actually, even more than that, like, I don't think it's just, oh, that's one topic of, you know, the vast many topics you could have. I actually think sex is fairly essential to life in so many ways. Like, that's how we got here. Uh, and, and, you know, like the, the sex of bread, for example, that, as I breathe out a tree, oh, how amazing. We're talking about trees again, you know, breathes of Eden kind of thing. I mean, I think that mainly breathes overnight, but you know, more or less, I'm exchanging breaths with trees, with the green life. And the tree of life is often mapped onto a human body. How amazing that we've got this integral connection literally with every breath. And I yeah. think that's pretty sexy. I mean, I think that a life force thing. And so for me, sex and intimacy and life and death you know they're all right right there central topics in the trip well how long did it take you to write this book because it's quite uh it took a long time i mean it took me three years and normally i write a book in one year so and i have to say like at least a year of that was not writing at all but just grappling with these ideas that i had because i'd worked with it for 10 years before i tried to start writing it and so my ideas were so complex and layered, you know, perhaps as the fits trying to explain the whole universe, uh, that it just, I, I couldn't contain it in my head and I couldn't get it down on a page. And I was like, so stuck with it. I was so stuck with it. I thought, this is a book I have to write that I was born to write and I can't write. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I felt that for at least a year. And then it finally came together. So no, no, not really. Not really. I decided that <laughs> I decided that I could, if I was never going to be able to write it and I couldn't write anything else while I wasn't writing it, the least I could do was to write down, because I'm a writer, so I naturally think in terms of writing, I could write down all the reasons why it was impossible to write this book. And I thought, well, that could go forever. So I limited myself to a thousand words. I thought I'm going to sit here and write a thousand words on why I can't write this book and then I'll be done. So I did that. I wrote the thousand words and I stopped myself at a thousand words. And the next day when I read it, it was actually pretty good. And I was like, <laughs> sort of like a, an introduction kind of thing, you know, like, yes, it's impossible to write this book clearly, but actually I could write a thousand words of it. And so I said to myself, well, what if I didn't attempt to write a book? Like clearly writing a book on the Kabbalah is absolutely ridiculous. I could never do it, but I could write a thousand words. Wow. And so that next day I wrote just a thousand words. And I just kept doing that. And basically, I just kept doing that. 
every day for a very long time, a thousand words. I never attempted to write longer than a thousand words. I was just like, just a thousand words. That's all I could do. I didn't read back mostly on what I'd written. And I just kept writing, kept writing and kept writing. And about, obviously by about halfway through, I knew I was writing a book. And I, by then the pandemic had hit, we were in lockdown. And I was like, perfect time to write a book, just me in the garden. And, and, and it seemed to lend even more weight to this is, this book was the book that I was born to write and why I'm a writer and makes sense of not just my whole life, but to, in my mind. I would love to get to an audiobook version one day. <laughs> there is one. So someone okay. has recorded. Do you want to know how long it is though? How long? That's 18 minutes. I just said 20. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably 20 by the time we've turned it on and off. And, and yeah. Day. Because so it's, I don't, for me, it, I wasn't something I could read literally. I had to kind of, kind of pick with what was going on with me and, and try a few different things on my own. Um, and a lot of words I didn't know. So I, I use the glossary in the back quite often, okay. you know, for some education and stuff. So, you know, that's how I recommended it for me. I mean, I'm sure some people can go through the like, absolutely. And I think in the, in the introduction, I lay out various ways that you can work with the book. And one of them totally is you just pick it up and you read the pieces that you need to read. And some people like to do that and then read the whole book or some people the other way, or some people just always stay with, oh, you know, I, I feel like I don't understand. I don't know, whatever. Hod, you know, let me just look at the hod section and see if I can make more sense of it or. Uh, like I've got a whole lot of what I call technical pieces in the book where like one whole section is on pillars. So you want to know more more about pillars, you can just go there. You can read about pillars in general, what they are, how they function in the tree, and then you can read about each specific. You might just go, just tell me more about this left-hand pillar. I just never get the left-hand pillar. There's a section on the left-hand pillar. Yeah. And and you might, you know, realize, oh, somehow the pillars uh, section has also got these exercises that are about pillars. Oh, let me do that also that exercise in the left hand pillar, you know, while I'm there or to bring an extra level. Yeah. And so you different ways, like if you're having like a troubled thing happening in your life, you have a section where you can kind of go to get answers, like resolving a problem. That that's actually with the pillars. That's the left handed pillar. Yeah. That's that's so can you give us yeah. any guidance about something like a lot of people are going through stuff like that? What was sort of that just overall process of what that might look like? Yeah, I mean, I think the book totally could be used that way. Like I would really encourage people who are interested in the Kabbalah to use it as a workbook. And if you can do it, if you have either another person or a group of people, like I think it's even more powerful worked with other people. Okay, that's what I was kind of... Yeah, like you don't have to, and I have done it on my own, and the book is written so you absolutely can do it on your own. And some people might, you know, start on their own and find someone else or do it once on their own and then find other people or not. It's totally fine to work on your own. Uh, and, and for me, the reason why the Kabbalah is like the answer to everything is because, <laughs> because it's not just piecemeal, I've got a problem, how do I solve this problem? Like it is this worldview. It is like, Oh, if I'm going to do this Kabbalah work, and I suggest setting an intention at the beginning, if you are going to kind of go through the whole thing, and your intention might be, wow, I would love my life to be aligned with how I ideally want to live life, my actual life to, to align. That might be your intention. 
Uh, and so then, you know, it's not exactly set and forget, but it is a bit. So you set the intention and then you begin the work. And if you began at the top of the tree with Keta, you know, that you would have this vast overview. And probably as you did that work, you know, certain things would begin to drop in about your intention, you know, that you'd set. But you would be like working with the tree and giving yourself to the tree and finding how to relate to a sephora, which is in the Keta section and doing a trance to familiarize yourself with the tree a bit, understanding what a sephora is, how they work together. Uh, and then you would, you know, eventually fall through the tree a little bit to the next sephora, which is Hokma. And you would like go, oh, and any issues that you might have about separation and union and love and division, you know, they would arise because you would have given yourself to this separate. And you would go, oh, okay. And, and on your intention, which you'd still be carrying with you, you know, you'd be beginning to do work around those themes. Okay, so like, uh, you have is wisdom. I am not, not going to be able to say all these correctly. <laughs> well, that's, we've got different accents, so correctly, you know. Yeah, well, that's why I was like, I think an audiobook, because I don't want to sound foolish, but some of these what? words, I just, they're not in my repertoire. I mean, I can read them. Yeah, and the Hebrew that, words. That will also help it with the audio ver- audio version for me to hear sure. how not to, because even as you're I, saying. I think, I think each one, if you're reading the book sequentially, each one, when you come to it, and perhaps in the Sef, when it's just there's a little explanation at the first section, it does give a, you know, a way to pronounce it like a, you know, <laughs> that so, so hopefully that, that might be helped as well. Well, I definitely think that there's like a through line of light and passion and love. And I love the ritual aspect. And this is a diagram that I know very well. Mm-hmm. So this the kind path. of. I see this a lot. This is like a life path. Yeah. Is this sort of like the life path tree right there? The paths are the lines that connect the sephora. So they're the round circles. They're the path. They're the the way you get from one sephora to the next. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, that also is a very strong thing in Western occult magic. And perhaps less emphasized in the Jewish Kabbalistic tradition, but you know, it's there, there are paths. And yeah, depending how you're working with the tree, you can kind of consciously choose to take paths from one place to another. Uh, or you can just do this kind of gradual, I call it falling, but other people call it moving through the tree or transitioning <laughs> through the tree from Sephora to Sephora, through which you do come down various paths, including the including the lightning flash that is also quite well known. Um, yeah, the, it's a kind of complex. That's why it's, uh, you know, you'll notice it's like a quite a long way through the tree, through the book, sorry, the tree yeah. the book that you've found that diagram. And that's because that's actually like a high level of complexity involved uh, in working those paths. Really, if you're taking magical paths, it's good to know the place that you're beginning from and the place that you're aiming to get to. So it's good to already have quite a lot of familiarity with the different sephirot before um, you begin taking paths, like as a magical set of actions, I guess would be what I was saying. And and for myself, like I'm much more, maybe I'm a bit unbalanced, I'm much more into the sephirot themselves than the paths. Like I'm totally into the paths and I adore them, but they're just not my main field of study. So, Well, so how has this kind of transformed your life? How has Kabbalah transformed your life? 
Yeah. I, I mean, I think life is always transforming. And so uh, for one thing, I finally understand Kabbalah and I could actually read those other Kabbalah books and more or less make sense of many of them. Some of them I love and some of them I leave to the side. So that's helpful. It's no longer a mystery, closed mystery to me. I always, since I was very young, I had this kind of desperate need or wish or driving force uh, to understand why I existed, the point of it, and not what I was supposed to be doing so much, more like just the why, why. And I feel like it answered that. I feel like the Kabbalah has actually met that huge hunger and desire and need in me to understand the universe, my life, my existence. And I actually have the answer to that, unbelievably. Like it wasn't something I don't know that I was ever expecting to get an answer for. Uh, so I feel deeply satisfied. It's transformed my life so many ways. Like every time I give myself to the journey of going through that tree, spending a month in each separate, which takes most of a year, uh, I, I expect transformation from it. I yeah. feel like so many, many areas of my life have been touched by it. And the intentions that I've set have played out in very profound. I mean, if you work with magic and ritual anyway, we know this, like intentions have very profound effects. Uh, because these are long and deep and tied up with the tree of life, they have very big effects. I, I think I've been rewritten by the tree of life, basically. I think I've written it for a little version of it, my own little version of it in that book, uh, which I'm incredibly proud of. But I think the main writing has been the rewriting of me by the tree of life. And mm. I I don't know that I'm a different person, but I, I am the person that I, I feel like I am the person I was born to be. That is the book I was born to write. And I'm still going. Amazingly, I'm not dead yet. So, and half the time, half the time I thought I would be at the end of the book because it was during the pandemic and I was thinking, I actually have to stay alive because I have to finish this book. Like I, must, I must not die now because I must finish this book, right? And then yeah. when I got to the end of the book, there was this kind of little gap where I'm like, well, am I going to die now? <laughs> you know, and really, there really was because I'd been holding it so strongly and letting it hold me to life so strongly, uh, and it still holds me to life. But I guess in a, a looser, more loving embrace at the moment, not that kind of death grip of like you must not die. Uh, but I still seem to be alive, so I'm still transforming, and I definitely keep giving myself the kabbalah again. And well, that's wonderful, and that's sort of you know one of the reasons why we have these conversations and is to show other people, especially if they're stuck, you know, and you have like this, just this light or something calling at you and you're, and you don't know why, but it seems out of the norm. Like say you work a nine to five job and you really, but something keeps ringing in your ear. You need to go try something else, you know, and that's people like yourself. I love to show people that you can follow that journey and have, you know, something that really speaks to you. And then you're doing it first for yourself. Like I created the liberated healer for myself at first because yeah. I was, I was suffering and then I found paths and then you want to share it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so the sharing of it is the, that's, that's when it's just like, uh, like the icing on the cake at the very end where it's just so like wonderful to be able to put it together. So that's why we always champion authors like yourself and, you know, doing the hard work to put it down on paper. And Kabbalah is a beautiful, a beautiful ritual and uh, filled with love and, and mystery and magic. It can really 
help you, you know, and connecting with the tree of life is so beautiful. And, you know, and it's just, just the symbolism is so like rewarding, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. is a, it is an interesting journey. It's somebody that like, peop, you know, you have to get in a little deep, you know, a little bit. It, it's not surface, I would say. I would say it is a deeper look. And I think a lot of people are looking for that deeper look. So Kabbalah yeah. is definitely an interesting avenue. And you're the only person I really talked to about Kabbalah so far. Okay. Uh, so well, thank you. Thank you for starting out. And I actually think, like you asked me before, if, would people who are familiar with Kabbalah get this book? And I think yes, although it is complete. I think it's completely different from anything that I've ever read about Kabbalah. But I also, what I really wanted to do was make it accessible, be able to open that door, show other people how to open that door who really had no idea, who were turning up saying, oh, I don't know how to pronounce these words. I've seen that diagram, but it's never made any sense to me. I don't really know what this is about. Like those people totally, I, I wrote this book for as well, maybe even more. And I do think that this embodied and personalized kind of intimate way of learning the mysteries is, is immediately accessible because like the material is our own lives. So we've all actually got lives to bring to that. You know, the material is not saying you have to have already read 10 or 20 or whatever other books or studied magic for 15 years or be of a certain age. None of that. It's actually, I just bring your life and, and do these processes and give yourself in this way. And it will teach you, you know, it will be the teacher and you will provide the material. Is there any kind of closing little blessing or meditation or anything you'd like to take us through, even a few minutes? Mm. On the way out? Yeah. I mean, there's, it's maybe there's a series of questions, which something that I, like, I really love, as you would know, having looked at that book, I really love science uh, books and, and stuff about like stars and atoms and, it's really, you know, like really exciting to me. And I think it's totally bound up with the tree of life. So something that I read in a book called Quantum Theory Cannot Hurt You was that the, the atoms in our bodies, like so just even the atoms in, the, in this hand, you know, that same hand that I was saying, oh, the tree of life is like this, the size of my hand, the diagram. The atoms that are currently existing in your hand, Gina, or anyone listening to this, I want you to imagine, he says it's true, that almost all of them would never have been in such close proximity to other atoms in their entire lives, like before they ever became part of your body. So now in your body, they're having this experience of intimacy with other atoms, like this closeness, uh, which they've never had before. And Afterwards, after you've died and let go of them or they've transformed or moved uh, moved on, and, you know, they might again be like rearranged out there into the far apart. So this moment, this moment of my life, of your life, is actually like bringing these atoms into this kind of chorus, this song with each other that's creating this body. Uh, and, you know, I just, when whenever I think that, like I almost start vibrating with it and I'm imagining it's like being sung a love song of all of these atoms singing the, their history, their history from the beginning of time, you know, through and into this body uh, and resonating with that, like that mystery, that magic of that. And so that blessing is one that we take with us 
you know, like we often say, oh, we're all made of stardust or, you know, which, which is true. Everything's stardust. But to think through the implications of that and actually to be, you know, living uh, that magic of these atoms coming together in this body, in this form, and thinking of them relating to each other within my body in this particular way. It's, it's total opposite of a trance or a little magical exercise. Oh, I love it. I guess that's what I've got just spontaneously off the top of my head to say that uh, that the song of the universe becoming is happening, of course, everywhere all the time. And right now in this hand or that hand or whoever's hand you've got and every other part of us as well. And to allow that becoming of the universe and the intimacy of these atoms in the, in that form of this human flesh and body. Like, I think that's totally sacred. Like, I think that's as sacred as any, as any kind of more traditional blessing or, you know, right that I could give. Yeah. Cause you know, I also think that way sometimes. Sometimes I think very big and sometimes I like to go very small and then recognize that each little cell in us is, you know, has its own consciousness in a way, you know, and it, you know, just to appreciate sometimes the tiniest little things. So I think that was perfect and I really appreciate it. So that's kind of our time for today, but we have uh, Jade Meredith. She's at jademeredith.com. This is Falling Through the Tree of Life, Embodied Kabbalah. And it's available everywhere with Llewellyn Publications, and we love them and appreciate them. And thank you for all your hard work and dedication in this field. And we can't wait to see you again. And we wish Lee yeah. you really well, and it falls into all the right people's hands who is going to be able to uh, use this and explore it and help them, you know, transform and fall like a butterfly to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much for your time and your willingness to show up to it and excitement about it. It's really lovely. Thank you, G. Bye for now. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support. Yes. Yeah.